We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and this show is being taped not in a live audience, but in somewhat in a studio as we are live from Nashville, Tennessee. Yes, I have just arrived, and instead of being in my podcast room i am in jim's podcast room as he was kind enough to let me stay at his house instead of the gaylord uh preland hotel and convention center which is massive and we can't wait to report from there as we begin the 2023 winter meetings in nashville tennessee and jim it's uh it's good to see you yeah, it's weird talking to you from six feet away versus through a zoom screen <laughs> I don't know how loud to talk. Like it might feel like I'm projecting to the microphone, but also screaming in your face. So I guess it'll be up to the listener to describe unless you balance the sound really well to understand like when exactly I got self-conscious about how loudly I'm speaking or whether I withdrew in any way. <laughs> no problem. No problem. But let's kind of set up there as far as with this podcast episode. It's Sunday night as we were recording this. And typically I'll tell you guys it's Monday morning. But one thing that Jim and I have learned with the winter meetings is that breaking news can literally happen, especially when it comes to the White Sox and the winter meetings. So when we do podcast episodes, we're just going to release them immediately. So if you're all out of sorts on SoxMachine.com, knowing for years on Monday at 6 a.m., boom, on the website, I got a new podcast episode that I could listen to. We have to send this out immediately because, again, we just don't know when breaking news is going to happen. And that does make things exciting when you are covering the winter meetings. In this episode, we're going to talk about the winter meetings and what the White Sox could possibly be doing. We think they're going to be one of the busier teams. Could we see two trades this week at Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez? Could the White Sox also surprise us with a signing? It sounds like they're kicking the tires on former Astros catcher Martin Maldonado. We'll also talk about the other Major League Baseball news. The Milwaukee Brewers broke a Chicago White Sox record. Talk about Shohei Otani because we'll be honest, when it comes to the winter meetings, it's Otani, Otani, more Otani, and then add some more Otani. And he is the star of this winter meetings, but also cannot forget what's going on with Juan Soto and trade talks between the Padres and Yankees. 
And finally, we'll talk about Jim Leland, former White Sox third base coach, became a Hall of Fame manager. How about that? But Jim, let's start with the Chicago White Sox. And this is Chris Getz's first winter meetings as the general manager of the Chicago White Sox. And we thought by now that Dylan Cease could have been traded. And depending on who you read and who you talk to, I know Ken Rosenthal suggested this on The Athletic and you wrote about on how it, and I agree with you, I don't 100% believe that the White Sox are waiting until the top free agent starting pitchers sign. Are you a bit surprised we haven't had a Dylan Cease traded emergency podcast episode yet? I guess a little. I, I should, by definition, be surprised just because we both thought that he would be traded beforehand. So if we were, I guess, leaning towards that way, then I guess that allows for a little bit of uh, being caught off guard that he's still around. So yeah, I'll say slightly, but given that we haven't seen like a whole flurry of activity at the top of the pitcher market, I can understand it better. Like if we had pitchers flying off the board and, you know, you had, you know, Snell going somewhere, you had Montgomery going somewhere, Yamamoto, uh, et cetera, then I could see, you know, why hasn't Cease moved yet? Why are, you know, why are all these teams finding pitchers who aren't Dylan Cease? But given that Aaron Nola is the only pitcher signed and he just returned to the team he was playing for, we haven't seen the dominoes topple over yet. And I imagine Cease will be part of those dominoes, whether it's like a, a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Braves, typically big spenders, not going for that uh, nine-figure contract, instead going for somebody like Cease on a two-year deal or two years of team control, or a team like the Orioles, which is never going to spend at a Snell level, might not even spend towards a Montgomery level. So maybe, you know, Cease is the best they can do. So that's why I think like, you know, given that no other pitchers have moved yet, uh, I guess it's fitting that Cease hasn't moved either because I imagine he would be part of a movement. I don't know if he starts a run or if he ends a run. I can see him kind of moving just in the middle of it once other teams start seeing the dominoes and realizing like, oh, there isn't going to be that bargain at that price. So I'm going to go ahead with this prospect package I felt I could part with. And what Rosenthal was alluding to in his reporting that the White Sox are willing to wait until the top starting pitcher sign. To your point, Jim, even if Cease does bounce back in 2024 to his 2022 form, his arbitration total is going to be, what, 16, 18 million next year? I mean, we're talking about a two-year, 24, 26 million dollar pitcher that's projected arbitration totals. Like, that doesn't break the luxury tax threshold. I don't know why the White Sox would have to wait for the top starting pitchers to sign to think that all of a sudden the offers are going to get better because teams would be more desperate. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, that's what Kenta Maeda got, two years, $25 million. So basically, Dylan Cease on the open market, is, or Dylan Cease not on the open market with controlled cost is Kenta Maeda on the open market. So that's pretty sweet for a team that's acquiring him, even if he isn't quite that Cy Young runner-up finisher that uh, he was a couple of years ago. But I consider him a shelf-stable assets like he's not a perishable item that if uh you know just something happens all of a sudden the market is turned upside down and no team is interested in cease anymore given that like he can't you know knock on wood can't suffer an injury that changes the course of a season or limits him to only two months of a six-month season uh you know he doesn't have any kind of chris sale jumping off a truck incident that costs him you know um weeks and months uh, of the start of a season like he teams should be knowing what they're getting going into spring training uh trading for him and that's why i don't think that uh you know 
he fits in every team's budget and he fits in other teams' budgets more than others. Like he, you know, a team like the Orioles, I think he'd be more important to, or a team like the Braves, given that they seem like they might be up against some spending limits. Like he might be more important to them than he is to a team like, uh, you know, the, well, I guess like the, the way the Rangers spent last year, they're cutting costs a little bit, or at least they're not going for broke anymore since they've accomplished what they set out to accomplish. But if the Yankees go nuts, if the Giants go nuts, if the uh, you know, Red Sox resume spending, like those are teams that, you know, can more or less shrug at a cease because they can afford Montgomery without giving up anybody they prize. So I think that's why C strikes me as somebody who just, you know, he's going to have his value no matter what. Maybe his value, like, Best case scenario, like Yamamoto goes to the Giants, uh, the Braves, you know, find their bargain pitcher. They can turn around. All of a sudden, the Yankees are like, we got to have somebody. And they trade, you know, Jason Dominguez and whoever else uh, that yeah. would previously not go anywhere. Like, that's really what I think that approach shoots for. But I would think the chances of that are like, I don't know, 15%. Just throw a random number out there. Something you don't bet on. If you can get a perfectly... Good deal. Kind of like Manny Machado not betting $50 million of White Sox money to earn $70 million and just taking the money up front, you know, guaranteed. Like, that's, I think, how most teams would be approaching this when it comes to dealing somebody like Dylan Cease. And I wonder from, like, Chris Getz's perspective, having that being reported and put out there that they're willing to wait into the top starting pitcher sign, I wonder if it's just a sign to tell all the teams the offers that you have submitted to us are not good enough on our end to move Dylan Cease at the moment. That I could believe more than trying to do this type of logical gymnastics to say, well, if the top starting pitchers sign elsewhere, we can get a better deal. I don't think that's true, but I wouldn't be surprised if Getz is trying to put out there before the winter meetings, hey, the deals you are offering right now are not moving the needle for us to trade Dylan Cease, you better up your ante when we all get to Nashville. That I could believe. Yeah, that's. Uh, I wrote about that saying, like, you know, whether it's Getz's approach on purpose or whether it's a secondary concern he's keeping in mind, it would look the same. Just that Cease hasn't moved yet because the offer isn't quite good enough. And whether it's the Yankees, you know, a team like the Yankees in this hypothetical coming in late with an offer they wouldn't consider entertaining if they landed somebody like Yamamoto versus like a team like the Orioles just sitting on a prospect they haven't been willing to give up all along. Like it looks the same in the end. Like he's just waited and it's just a matter of like, was he just trying to wait the Orioles out or was he actually waiting for the other team to come in that maybe wasn't sufficiently motivated before the starting pitchers landed wherever it all looks the same. Now there's not an order of operations for the White Sox at getting deals done. So let's talk about Eloy Jimenez. And we talked in just one of our more recent podcast episodes, what would make sense in a return for Eloy Jimenez for the Chicago White Sox. And I, I get this question asked a lot. I mean, when I fly, I always do the airline or air lounge. Ask me anything. The AMAs on Twitter. No lounge this time. No lounge this time at the Midway Airport, but they do have very nice bars. The Hubbard Inn is, is quite nice. So I got to park there and, interact with a lot of people on social media and try my very best to answer some questions. And I've been getting this question more and more. It's like, what do you hope the White Sox get for Eloy Jimenez? And it's like a double A outfielder who could actually play defense, Jim. Like, is that too much to ask for someone that I'm not entirely sure what his market could be? And because he's on the cheaper side, as far as prospects involved and you're not selling him high, I wonder if he gets dealt before Dylan sees. Would that make sense? 
I think they're on independent timetables to where like depends on when it comes to the White Sox. I you can look at it two ways when it comes to how they feel about Eloy Jimenez. Like a lot of the ways Chris gets described what he wanted the White Sox to be. We're describing players who are not Eloy Jimenez, like players who could play defense, players who can give an all-out effort, whether it's because they're, they have the fire, they have that dog in them to do that, or they, their body can just hold up to deliver maximum efforts more frequently, whereas where every time Eloy had to bust it down the line, like there's always a chance that like he could just come up hobbling 15 feet short of first base and might not even hit the base on the way through, might be tagged uh, behind, behind the bag while he's crumpled in heap. There's just always that risk, or is always that risk, I guess, because we're not speaking him in past tense just yet. So like the way he described it was like, boy, he must not like Eloy. But then like they've been, you know, I guess going down the Dominican and kind of being, you know, Marcus Thames, Thames talked about having a, a plan for him. So like they have an idea of like what it'd be like if they kept him. So part of me wonders if they are just publicly ambivalent of a future, including Eloy Jimenez, just to be a tough love, to be like a bad cop because he's never had his spot on the team threatened because like they, you know, they've, whatever they've done with him so far hasn't worked in terms of getting that effort they want to see out of him, the value they want to get out of him, the value everybody thought they'd be getting out of him. So maybe it is a way of like, yeah, we'll dangle you. You might not be here. We we think, not maybe think that little of you, but we, we're not married to you anymore to where like uh, maybe our futures aren't aligned. And so you might be sent somewhere that you don't want to go because you have no say in where you go and if you really like being here and really like Chicago and don't want to go anywhere, then, uh, you know, perhaps you can take things a little bit more seriously or just make changes we prescribe for you for years and you haven't taken on. Like that's there, there's a subtext there that I wonder just that these trade talks or the idea of him being traded and get saying, you know, we're open for business, but we're not going to trade him for just anything. You know, it does leave open the idea of the White Sox keeping him and not an awkward Craig Kimbrell way to where like, oh, we didn't mean to keep you. We're stuck with you. <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah. It's going to be like, no, they can use somebody like Eloy if he's healthy. Like they'd be trade. That's that's a tough thing about trading someone like Eloy is like they'd be trading for a guy they hope could be him or the prospect they thought they'd be, you know, were getting from him all along. Like if they got Eloy Jimenez the prospect for Eloy Jimenez the player, everybody would consider that a steal. So I think that's the tricky thing about trading him at this point is just like it'd be so depressing to do so. And so like, you know, that's why I think like it's not entirely done yet. But given that, you know, they might not exercise the option on him after the year, if just more of the same, uh, they are in a position to where like if they get a interesting offer that they feel like they could spend five, six, seven years working with to see if they can get more out of him, like, sure, pull the trigger. There's a few Miami Marlins blogs that I follow. Fish Stripes is one, and they do a very good job covering the team. The Sox Machine uh, equivalent, right? Yes, the Sox Machine equivalent of the uh, the Miami Marlins. Well, they got kicked out by SB Nation, and then they asked us some questions on like how they can launch independently. We're proud of you guys. Great job staying alive and and thriving. In their like offseason plans, they, ke- they continue to add Eloy Jimenez to the plans for 2024 for the Miami Marlins. And I would buy that if Kim In were still in charge. But now that they are taking on the Tampa Bay Rays model, I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of like the foregone conclusion 
that I've had in my mind is like, oh yeah, Eloy's replacing Jorge Soler in Miami. Like he's going to be traded to the Marlins and let me look up the Marlins farm system. They share many affiliates with the Chicago White Sox. So there's a lot of cross scouting opportunities. The White Sox should be familiar with a lot of those players. But outside of the Marlins, and, and we talked about the Diamondbacks too, like Jake McCarthy, it's just not a robust market for Eloy Jimenez like it is with Dylan Cease. Like after we had that episode where I pitched you five teams, someone, one of our listeners pitched me, hey, the Boston Red Sox makes sense. There's some word from San Diego that even though they may be trading away Juan Soto, they still need pitching help. So with some of the cost savings, they may just turn around and maybe ask for the White Sox for Dylan Cease because they have this weird way that they still want to contend while they try to get out of the, the luxury tax thresholds. Like, Dylan Cease's market could be like eight to 10 teams, even though we listed five in a recent podcast episode, Jim. Eloy, what, two, three, four? He just doesn't have a robust market, so that's why it's hard to pinpoint a team that could really use him. Yeah, he has like a big market for teams that want to buy low. Like I think sure. there, there are a lot of yeah. teams that like, oh, if they're really tired of him, we'll swoop in and see if we can get that, you know, somehow get that prospect performance. Everybody thought that he would deliver the well-rounded 300 hitting 30, 35 homers, 35, 40 doubles, all fields power, uh, massive strike zone coverage, um, you know, pitches off the plate driven over the right field seats. Uh that the White Sox occasionally get. Like I could see teams being like, yeah, well, yeah, that's a bargain if we can get what we think we're getting because of those club options coming up. Uh, and we'll, we'll give you a double a AA pitcher who might be on the, you know, out you know, of a option situation come spring training or 40 man squeeze that we don't really want to deal with right now. So we'll take Eloy for not nothing, but like next to nothing comparatively, especially for prospect rich teams. But given that the White Sox don't have to move him unless they're really more cash strapped than uh, we thought. And, you know, I think there are some notions that we've seen backing that up like, oh, maybe they are really looking to cut. I could see that, you know, maybe uh, gets not being motivated by all of those offers. So it does come down to like two, three teams that can use, I guess, like the 50th percentile or whatever Eloy has been showing wouldn't be good enough necessarily for the Diamondbacks or the Marlins. But like if you're talking 60th, 70th, which isn't out of hand, like that's a case where like the Marlins can use that. The Diamondbacks can use that. And he's really not that expensive if he's healthy. Like if he's, right. if he's like 140 plus games at DH, sure. Like he makes his money. Uh, but if he's a hundred you know, if he's limping towards 120, <laughs> that's when it's just like, uh, yeah, more, more trouble than it's worth and why the White Sox, you know, really have to look at him as like, what does life look beyond him after the season? Because this isn't going well. Yeah, that's a good point. So those are the two big news items so far for the Chicago White Sox that we're going to be paying attention to early here in Nashville and how this market gets moved during the winter meetings. It sounds like through MLB trade rumors and other reports, especially from Chandler Rome down in Houston, that the White Sox are one of many teams that are kicking the tires on Martin Maldonado for catching help. And I'm not crazy about it. And I know you wrote about this in SoxMachine.com. Like if, if they sign Martin Maldonado, then up the middle, the White Sox, and I'm not including Luis Robert, just in the infield, I catch your shorts off at second base. Maybe the league's worst offensively if they sign Martin Maldonado. 
I think so, unless like there's some like power star team because Maldonado can hit ten homers, uh, DeYoung can hit ten homers, so at least they have that going for them. Whereas, I guess with the White Sox last year with Andrews and Anderson Middle, like we've seen worse in some regard. I guess, yeah, yeah, which is you know how how sad it's gotten. But I guess the yeah, I wrote about it saying like the way it was phrased. Uh, Chandler Rome's report saying that uh, you know sources familiar with Maldonado, uh, you know the negotiations. It sounded like coming from the player side of teams that have checked in with him, mm-hmm. and that's always in the player's interest to say like, oh, five teams have contacted me, and the White Sox just might be in a case of like we need somebody to pair with Corey Lee or Carlos Perez. We're gonna reach out to. Everybody, we're going to cast a really wide net. Martin Maldonado, Andrew Nisner, um, you know, uh, Austin Nola, uh, Roberto, is it Roberto Perez who's a free agent? I'm like trying to keep my presence. Maybe oh, even Carlos, yes. maybe even the other Carlos Perez might be yeah. a free agent too. Like, you know, basically everybody who's anybody behind the plate, uh, Jacob Stallings, like contact everybody, say, hey, what's, you know, what are you hearing? What are your demands? What are your prices? You know, what is, what are skills going for? What do we feel that, you know, certain skills going for if like a block and throw guy like Maldonado uh, compared to a block and throw guy like Stallings versus like a framing guy. Like I can understand like checking with every single catcher who fills that need. But like if the White Sox are singling out Maldonado this early, I don't get it just because his framing uh, plummeted his, you know, he hasn't hit over 203 seasons. He was able to play for the Astros because they had offense at basically every other spot. So he could just bat ninth and give the uh, Astros framing and pitch calling that they liked. But that was a point of tension with the Astros. Um, just how much playing time he got when, uh, you know, there's finally a replacement uh, who could actually do things he did, especially with Maldonado's framing uh, just disappearing on him and dusty baker got mad because he trusted his veteran catcher and it was kind of a mess and that's why i think baker is criticizing the tweeters and bloggers after the season about like tired of being second guest and just retiring because of that but uh the white Sox just i think just have too many choices to be like settling for maldonado this early if like the things shook out to where like you know prices got crazy and the White Sox just needed a warm body then I could see like yeah Maldonado who cares like hopefully he's like DFA'd by or traded by like June or July and you know they have either you know Perez is better than we thought or Lee's better than we thought or Edgar Caro is more advanced than we realized and all of a sudden like he's he's distant but that's more of a February signing than a November slash December signing and I think that's the problem now with Chris Getz is like all his signings feel like February 18th signings or trades like Nicky Lopez, Paul DeYoung, yeah, Maldonado coming through. Like those are all like Elvis Andrews as uh, spring training. You know, all every you know pitchers, right. catchers, all players reporting. Like, who needs a job? Musical chairs, the very end. Like, you know that that's kind of uh, the feel, and that's why I think you know, it doesn't make sense that the White Sox would pursue Maldonado this early. But he does fit the earliest mold or cliche that Chris Getz has created for himself by just acquiring good defensive players who don't do anything else well. When it comes to the White Sox and the winter meetings, I mean, those are the two big items now, Cease and Jimenez. I don't think the White Sox are seriously going to consider trading Luis Robert Jr. And I just don't know if any team in Major League Baseball right now is willing to make a serious offer for Luis Robert Jr. I, I guess I could be shocked, but right now I'm not expecting that. Martin Maldonado is like the only free agent that the White Sox are kicking the tires on. And when it comes to free agency, 
I, I guess I'm not surprised based on this is speculation, but I have created that Excel doc or that Google Sheets doc. I have posted it on social media, Jim. Mm-hmm. Following along, this is like my projected 26-man roster. There's a lot of $740,000 salaries on that roster because you got to use the players that are on the existing 40-man roster. Matt and the, Matt Foster for 750. Yeah, Matt Ross. Yeah, Ross. Don't yeah, forget I the forgot, forgot the 10. The, the White Sox are like at $119 million. So they have already cut around $62 million from last year, last season, 2023 opening day payroll. And if you trade Cease and Jimenez, then you're below $100 million for payroll. And what's the thinking here? Because, again, going back to the words that keep coming back and biting Jerry Reinsdorf in the butt, that he hired Chris Getz because they still believe they could contend in 2024. I mean, if they trade Cease and Jimenez and they don't really get any major leaguers, like immediate major leaguers that have higher arbitration salaries or in arbitration, and if they're just more league minimum guys, that just screams to me that this television uncertainty deal that the White Sox have with NBC Sports Chicago and not knowing what holds for their local TV deal, Jim, is speaking in a larger volume than we were expecting. And having a much greater impact in the roster construction and what Chris Getz can achieve. And that that's what happens in business. The 87-year-old chairman says, we're going to get 10 in 2024. You sit down after the season, you collect all the receipts, and you realize we do not make enough money to merit that type of payroll. And I have no idea how we're going to replace this $100 million TV contract that we have. Because if you think the TV company that I now own, Stadium, is going to replace the $100 million, you're out of your mind. And, you know, that's like paraphrasing what Jerry Reinsdorf said at a summit in 2023 that, you know, they robbed the the regional sports networks and everybody knows that. And that's why the RSNs are going bankrupt. Like, I feel not just for the White Sox, but for a lot of teams in this winter meetings, the uncertainty when it comes to local TV deals is becoming a much larger headache than the luxury tax thresholds. And for the White Sox, they could say, yeah, we're trying to move Eloy Jimenez to be more athletic and be better defensively. We're trying to trade Dylan Cease away. Maybe we get two additional starting pitchers so we could fill out the rotation, a two-for-one type of deal. No, I think to me, it's we're trying to cut as much money as possible because the strategy changed. And as we continue to dive deeper into the earth's core of the White Sox, we realized we're not making that much money. We can't spend that much money. And based on those two things, we can't spend enough to contend. So let's just cut as much payroll as possible and be really bad in 2024. Like inside my inner thinking right now, that is what's speaking the loudest as we are here in Nashville, Jim. And I guess that would constitute hitting the ground running, which is what Jerry exactly. Reinsdorf yeah. wanted for. Good point. Chris Getz, yeah. It's, when, when looking at the off-season plan project and like we set the payroll limit at $185 million, like I knew that wasn't going to be what the White Sox payroll was, but I just, I wanted the exercise or I thought it would be more interesting if like, if we want to take Jerry Reinsdorf at his word and you should never do that, but let's, you know, he actually spoke. So we have this rare opportunity hearing from him directly to say like, you know, we can't afford to be this bad again. And you know, we, we, you know, deeply embarrassed and want to put it behind us as quickly as possible and want to overcome it. And you had like Kenny Williams in his farewell dressing, like, you know, 
believe in big things for Pedro Griffol in 2024. And uh, like, sure, we'll take him as word and say like, well, if you're going to make a winner out of this team, then you have to spend nearly as much as you did last year to have a shot. So I thought that why it was, it was more of an interesting um, exercise if you set it at 185 million, because even at 185 million, it's really hard to fashion a contender. Uh, as I learned. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, like, that's why, you know, I, I think it was, you know, illuminating, if nothing else, uh, to see like, yeah, there really isn't a point in investing more in this core or what's left of the core or what has, uh, um, what's left from after the trades and everything like that. So that's why, like, you know, you can understand cutting. It's just if they're not going to use the word rebuild because they can't use that word anymore. Uh, because of how poorly the last one went, then you're just lying to people. That's, I think, where it gets, you know, you can, yeah, I think you can kind of massage words a little bit, use euphemisms and whatnot. But ultimately, because you played the rebuild card and failed so spectacularly, you know, fans have an option. They can either just like, yeah, I'm a White Sox fan or I'm a baseball fan who just only really follows the White Sox. I'm going to watch this team follow them no matter what. And then a bunch of people saying like, ah, I don't, I'm tired of this and just doing other things with their summer. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, at this point, the messaging doesn't really matter because it's basically like, you know, judging by their actions. And if they are coming back with a $130 million payroll, when they said that they had to be all about, uh, you know, getting past this disaster in 2023, then you can just shrug and say like, yeah, they don't respect me and they don't respect my time and my energy and my intellect. So, uh, uh, peace out. See you in 2026, basically. Yeah, pretty much. But again, coming full circle here on this topic, that's why teams are going to be calling about Dylan Cease because it's just not a White Sox problem. We have now learned it's a Texas Rangers problem. It's a Minnesota Twins problem. That's why they're cutting payroll after how successful they were last year. And that's causing people in Minneapolis to pull their hair out. Uh, so many teams uh, that the Padres are in, in trouble money wise, the Diamondbacks. I mean, the two teams are just in the World Series. Uh, they're really struggling when it comes to, to local TV money right now. The local TV issue is a much larger problem than Major League Baseball would like to admit. They would like to do the whole meme. Everything is fine here uh, while the house is on fire. But locally, with the local teams, it, it just greatly depends. And that's probably why the Chicago Cubs are in on Shohei Otani, because they're fine with Marquee. They went with their struggles launching their own cable network, but they're fine. And that's why they don't have these same stresses and problems right now. And I know we haven't heard a lot from, about the White Sox because they're not a Bally Sports, regional sports network. But again, that NBC Sports Chicago deal expires in October 2024. If you're Comcast right now, why would you renew with the Blackhawks, Bulls, and White Sox? Like, with all the headaches it takes to run a regional sports network, and you're probably not making a profit off of this regional sports network, and you have these three teams, I mean, the Bulls are going to be having their clearance sale pretty soon, right? Yeah. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. That's why it's like, I understand from a White Sox business perspective, after the season, being like, it's not looking good that we're going to be on NBC, NBC Sports Chicago. It's mm -hmm. not like, looking like we're going to have a $100 million local TV deal to power our revenue in 2025. We got to be proactive right now. We have to start making some cuts so we don't get hurt as much, even though so much payroll is being tossed out after this 2024 season, like with Yohan Mikata's option coming up, like you can even cut more payroll 
But yeah, I'm not trying to make a, a darker outlook as being a White Sox fan, but if you're wondering what the direction this team is right now, everybody says, what, follow the money? Mm-hmm. And following the money, this is what it's telling me, Jim, is ultimately this is why Cease and Jimenez are getting dealt is the White Sox are trying to cut payroll now. Yeah, it's funny when you put it that way, like about the Bulls, White Sox, and Blackhawks being on the same network and you know, seeing all the White Sox, Bulls fans on Twitter saying like, how can this Jerry Reinsdorf team be more disappointing than the Yeah, Jerry John Reins- Greenberg just wrote about yeah. this in The Athletic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't get away from this. Imagine like, you know, how bad uh, White Sox and Bulls fans feel. But imagine like if your entire revenue stream is riding on their success, which we can a little bit as a White Sox, as a White yeah. Sox related business. Although fortunately, our 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 wonderful Patreon supporters uh, stick with us, and you know, and and you know, fortunately, we have not lost the kind of support that the uh, uh, White Sox have lost when it comes to attendance and when it comes to uh, TV ratings. So we're we're very grateful in that regard. But like, if your revenue is riding on like Jerry Reinsdorf, and like, if if you have the White Sox and Bulls, you are getting fooled twice under contract. Yes. <laughs> And uh, at that point, you just uh, you, you want to stop hitting yourself. And I think that's I think where, um, you know, the Comcast is at and being like, it's not worth it. Not not for these two teams owned by the same person, the common thread. Right. So th- that's just how I feel like the overall feeling about the White Sox this winter meetings. And that's what I am preparing myself for. We are expecting a lot of news because a lot of news always happens during the winter meetings. And even if it's not Chicago White Sox related, we'll still talk about what else is happening around Major League Baseball. And we're going to be getting, touching on those topics after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. 
Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so we pivot from the dour outlook of what the Chicago White Sox could be doing during the winter meetings. Let's talk about what else could happen in Major League Baseball. And first, we do have an official signing, and the Milwaukee Brewers have broken a Chicago White Sox record. Their Uber prospect, Jackson Churio, signing an eight-year, $82 million contract, and no, he's yet to play in the Major League, so the Brewers are already committing at least $82 million to this top prospect. When you add in the club options and the other incentives, the max value of this contract could be 10 years more than $140 million if Churio hits all the incentives. And this signing breaks the Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez records, which the White Sox held records number one and number two for largest contracts with players who had yet to reach the major leagues. And Jim, you got a chance to see him a couple of times when you were visiting the the White Sox affiliates. When when we're talking about someone who hasn't even played a game in the major leagues, and yes, Uber prospect. From our perspective, we have seen Uber prospects in quotes, top prospects who are not living up to the big contracts. Like Yohan Makata really hasn't lived up to the money that he has signed with the Chicago White Sox. But the Milwaukee Brewers here are making a huge bet on this particular player. So one, what do you think about this type of money being owed and guaranteed to a player who's yet to play the major leagues? And two, what do you know about this talent watching him in person? Well, he's 19 years old. So that's that's the thing that jumps out to me is like, the numbers aren't, you know, they're impressive. Uh, when you look at like he's got 20 homer power, he's got 40 stolen bases. Like he doesn't strike out a ton, like 100 strikeouts and 128 games around there. So the strikeout rate is respectable. Like walks about, uh, or sorry, strikes at about two and a half times per walk. And like that's nothing remarkable. But then when you realize he's doing it against double A AA and AAA pitching at age 19, like, oh, that's, you know, <laughs> that's quite a bit more impressive. So like, you know, you're counting on him, you know, killing that last mile basically and saying like, you know, even if it takes a little bit of an adjustment period, like you're still talking about a guy who's, you know, two years from now going to be 21, 22, like even after a lengthy adjustment period, he's still going to be way young playing center field, running fast, uh, covering ground out there, uh, hitting for power. You know, hopefully, you know, for, I think the Brewers standpoint, like cutting down strikeouts and making contact. And, you know, as we saw with Luis Robert, finally putting it together like that, player is worth a lot and that has a lot of trade value. So they're definitely going all in on it. And it seems like it's safer than like the Luis Robert uh, situation just because of like Robert's injury history. And then also just the you know raw aggression that Churio doesn't quite have safer than the Eloy Jimenez one because of his ability to play up the middle, at least right now, even if it falls out, he should be a plus corner. So he's got those things going for him. Um, but you know, as we saw with the White Sox, like it's a question I think of, you know, how well do you know the person? How well do you think he'll, you know, I think with the White Sox, you know, there were some like circumstantial things saying like, are these players motivated? Especially when it comes to like Mancada and Jimenez not playing through injuries or 
being injured on plays that should have injured them and wondering if they are taking conditioning as seriously as they need to and what their regimens are like. I think that's maybe where the White Sox have kicked themselves when revisiting the talk is just like, oh, did we know as much as we possibly could or did we account for like maturation process like physically maturing and filling out and losing some speed and what does that do for the player and how much does that hurt so I think you know if you're the Brewers you have to say like well what's if he thickens up a little bit and he has to move to a corner what kind of player is he is he still worth eight years and 82 million you know what's the likelihood of him falling off and you know given that he's the number two prospect usually it's like Jackson Holiday with Baltimore number one and then Chorio's right behind him at number two because he can cover center field while you know, running the bases really well, hitting for power that more power should come. You know, he's kind of a, um, he's smaller than I thought when I realized, I didn't realize he's like 5'10", 5'11", when I saw him. So like, yeah, I just knew him from his numbers in the profile. Like, oh, this guy must be a beast. Like 6'2", like kind of like Luis Roberts style. And he's like 5'10", 5'11", kind of small, but like in terms of like only height wise, when it comes to just the, you know, sitting taking photos of the Birmingham Barons and uh Nashville Sounds and like seeing them in the on deck circle like you know, all those players have like um you know they could wear like pilot style watches just the wrists <laughs> that they have you know the hand strength and such and you see them like the bat get through the zone like oh yeah he's he's got that kind of whip that kind of torque that you know, even if you're only 510511 uh you can still launch the ball get the right spin on it so like the the tools are there there's a reason why he's number 2 it's just i think when if the Brewers watched the White Sox and said, like, where did it go wrong? What are the pitfalls? It's more a matter of just, like, what happens if uh, physically he's not able to command everything that he had when we signed this extension? Like, if he's not able to play center, if he's not able to steal 40 bases, is he still the player we thought? And I think they're thinking he is because, like, when you look at the age, 19 uh and being able to strike out only 100 times and while hitting 20 homers like decent strikeout rate while hitting for that power in the southern league which is not typically a hitter's league especially with the tacky ball the enhanced grip ball in the first half like there's a lot of reasons to look at you know beyond the numbers and say like yeah this guy should project really well so i i think now it's just a matter of like now that the money's guaranteed Will he keep going? And I've and we've seen you know various players like you know Wander Franco, who unfortunately yeah. for reasons uh, you know that have not been entirely um, you know resolved yet. Resolved yet? Yes. Um, like, but like before, you know, setting aside the off-field stuff, that's pretty gross if it's true. Um, just the player he was, even though he received a lot of money, like he was not slacking off at all. So I think. You know, you can't just you know, paint with a broad brush and say like, oh, he's got his money. Expect him to uh, get complacent. Uh, and, and given uh, what he's shown so far at the age he's shown it, like, I, I can believe it, especially if you're the Brewers and you have to be uh, cognizant of your ability to retain uh, somebody who could command Juan Soto money at a Juan Soto age when he hits free agency. I think that's what they have to contend with. And so that's why they have to pay the premium. Glad you mentioned Juan Soto because that's going to be our next topic here. This winter meetings is all about Shohei Otani because now you're getting whispers that Otani could sign in the next week. Now, the last winter meetings I attended was in San Diego in December of 2019 before COVID hit. And in three consecutive days, being in the hotel lobby, when Garrett Cole 
signed with the Yankees and Steven Strasburg signed, re-signed with the Washington Nationals and Anthony Rendon signed with the Los Angeles Angels. Three consecutive days, three huge contracts. Only one of those are panning out right now and I'm sure the Yankees have no regrets signing Garrett Cole. Maybe we get that in Nashville, but while we wait on Otani, who really hasn't spoken a lot publicly, even though he just won the American League MVP, there's a lot of reporting about trade talks between the San Diego Padres and the New York Yankees. And I know we make fun of Bob Nightingale, but Bob Nightingale pretty much tweeted out, and I wonder if a Yankee source told him what the Padres offered. Like the Padres were hoping to get six players back from the Yankees in exchange for Juan Soto and Trent Grisham. I mean, that is a huge trade, and it sounds like from all the national reporters, that offer has stalled. And what is now happening is there's reporting from Toronto is that the Blue Jays are now getting themselves involved. So it really makes the Juan Soto market, Jim, very spicy here between two American League East rivals that, well, if now if this is true, what Bob Nigel pretty much just tweeted out. I can't believe he tweeted out the entire proposed trade between the Yankees and Padres, but good for him and good for us baseball audience. But from a Blue Jays perspective, now you see this. Could we come in and swoop in and steal Juan Soto away from the Yankees and really hurting the New York Yankees roster construction for next season. I, I think Juan Soto might be the first major move we see in Nashville here, Jim, the winter meetings. Especially since the Padres, like, as you mentioned, have to cut money after Peter Seidler's yeah, death. Who knows exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a shame given that like he, you know, how fan first he was with his approach to building a team and, and building a team for San Diego and, and really making the market play bigger than it should. Um, you know, Watching the Tigers go from um, Mike Illich to Chris Illich and drastic, when you, yeah, drastic change. You know, it's same last name, but the entire approach and the drive to spend spend beyond a team's means or like yeah, I guess the the the, the preferred profit margin. Uh, yeah, you can see the change rather dramatically. So I think like Soto, yeah, I mean he could still fit with the Padres. Like there is a reason why the Padres traded what they traded to the Nationals for him because like he fit in their window to be an extremely competitive team. But you know, between the year they had last year with letting Bob Melvin go, having to cut so much, still needing to put together a lot of a pitching staff. Uh, they have a lot of work to do. And like, if Soto is not going to be around after next year, because they can't definitely without Peter Seidler there, uh, they probably aren't going to be in the running for him. Then yeah, you kind of have to cash out even if it comes at a loss. And I think, you know, that six player, deal was it six players who went from the nationals to or sorry from the Padres to the nationals in the in that deal oh, that's a good point I don't remember all the players involved but yeah it was a huge yeah, deal yeah Mackenzie Gore um you know CJ Abrams uh like you know that was a massive deal and like so it seems like they're trying to maybe start that as like an anchor for their talks like well we had to give up this so we should be able to get this kind of package in return because it's still Juan Soto and Juan Soto is still great. And it's up to the Yankees and other teams to say like, well, a year's past, he's a lot less valuable. We're not falling for that. And so that's what that struck me when I heard that report saying, oh, they're just trying to get exactly what they got, like no depreciation whatsoever. <laughs> Even though it's kind of like uh, a little bit like a car, like, you know, you had the car for a year and now it lost some value. So you have to, you're not going to be able to trade it in for what you bought it for. 
And uh, so that's what struck me when I heard six players was, even though they're throwing Trent Grisham in and he's not nothing, it just, that struck me as the deal. Uh, so now with the Blue Jays coming in, you know, that does, there is a lot of room assuming six players are like good players, not like six players the White Sox could give because the White Sox have six players too. Sure. They could trade, <laughs> they could trade Jesse Schultons and, uh, you know, get Alec Hansen out of retirement and trade him. Like they could, you know, dig real deep to get him. And that wouldn't be a, a problem. But assuming it's like six good players um, or, or worthwhile players, and I think the Blue Jays can say like, whoa, how about four? Yeah. And then it's a matter of like, so it kind of, almost like the Carlos Correa deal a little bit. Like just watching his uh, you know, contract value uh, slide as he went from uh, the Mets to the Giants to the Twins, like, you know, kind of plinkoing down. I think you might see this with uh, Soda's negotiations, just – uh, team, you know, maybe trying to ask too much, but then that allows, you know, if you're the, if you're the Padres and you just want like three players of note, start six, like if you get three, you get what you originally wanted. You might come off as a little bit foolish for asking for the moon, but if it ends well, then, you know, that's just negotiations and you don't really care how you looked in the interim. Yeah. The athletic, a lot of reporting from different writers, they're painting this picture that Toronto is now big game hunting whether that's trying to swoop in and get a deal done with San Diego for Juan Soto, which imagine Juan Soto in that Blue Jays lineup. And Rogers, like I mean, just the shorter fences, the, and, the smaller fences. Like yeah. a lot of room. A lot, I mean, he could be, I mean, he, he hit 35 homers for the Padres this year, had 109 RBIs and hit 275, and it seems like that was a down year for Juan Soto. And he's just 25 years old. He just turned 25 in, in late October. And yeah, he only has one year left on his contract, but that shouldn't stop Toronto from trying to acquire Juan Soto and negotiate a contract extension. And they still have a youngish core uh, with the Blue Jays, and they're still a very good team, even though they didn't win a playoff game uh, this year. But if it's not Juan Soto, now it seems like the Blue Jays are entering the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. And... If I'm a Blue Jays fan right now, I'd be pretty excited, but I'm almost wondering if they're setting themselves up for failure here <laughs> because it's like, oh, we get Juan Soto or we get Shohei Otani. Like if we were the Blue Jays machine, uh, we'd be talking about which one would you rather have, Otani or Soto? Because it sounds like it's going to be one or the other. And likelihood is that the Blue Jays may get neither. But, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about the TV deals before the break with the White Sox and other teams being impacted. Here is a team that doesn't have that issue and they can swoop in and surprise everyone. And I'm just wondering if there's any other teams that get frisky in that way that shock us and trying to sign one of these top free agents or pull off these blockbuster trades, Jim. Yeah, it does remind me a little bit of the Machado Harper winter. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, what about the White Sox signing Machado or Harper and like the United Center presentations and everything? And then all of a sudden they, they swing and miss and. Kenny Williams is talking about, you know, well, we have to pay the players we already have. And, and look how really, that worked out. Yeah, really setting the sights lower. So there is that risk. And, um, you know, with uh, Mark Shapiro and, you know, uh, in Toronto and, and Ross Atkins, they've, um, you know, they've, they've put their foot in the mouth a couple of times uh, with talking a little bit too callously about player values and, um you know, speaking as unexcitingly as possible about what players actually bring to a fan base. And so maybe they've adjusted for that, but I think there is that, you know, kind of Cleveland DNA underneath of just, 
you know, um, not being excited as fans are for landing uh, the big fish if it costs them that kind of money. So I am a little bit skeptical they can do it, except for, you know, Soto needs, you know, he doesn't have a say in where he's going. And if you're Toronto and you have trouble landing the best of the best because of the minor inconveniences that living in Canada during the season presents uh, with all the travel and customs and whatnot, like they, they sometimes have to either trade for that player or, you spend more like George Springer. Remember, like he signed for a premium. I think it was something like he was going to get 120 million stateside, but he the Blue Jays ended up paying 150 over six years because of just like in order to lure him to Toronto. Like it does take a little extra to get that kind of player. I guess maybe if you're Shohei Otani and like you're used to playing overseas already, yeah. uh, you know you know what that's like and don't really care and just want to be uh, um, you know paid the market shattering amount. You know maybe you take that money, but. Uh, I have the same kind of feeling when, when Toronto's talking about that, like how disappointed they're going to be. But I guess the good news is if you're a Blue Jays fan, like they've shown the ability to pony up before and that division is so competitive. You know, it's not just a two team race. It's like a four team race, five team. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, every team can mount a threat to like, if any team slips up, like, you know, even the Red Sox were kind of quiet up to this point and trying to figure out like what exactly they're going to do. Like they weren't bad last year and, you know, they could get to 90 wins with a couple moves and all of a sudden like they're just as good as uh, the Rays and maybe the Blue Jays and the Yankees. So like uh, that division in particular inspires a lot of teams. I think the uh, NL East is the same way in that you do, you know, if you are trying to make headlines you do have to to gun for it in a way that certainly the central teams don't and the NL West teams, if you are not the Dodgers and you know, previously the Padres, the Giants, but like the kind of like we're seeing it in the AL West with the Astros and the Mariners, but the Mariners are kind of hesitant when it comes to spending that much. The Angels spend it in all the wrong ways. Uh, I think really the East divisions are the only ones that really kind of inspire teams to spend for really transformative players uh, and and get that performance. And then lastly, Jim Leland voted into the Hall of Fame by the special committee. He was the only one that earned enough votes, got more than 12 votes from the committee. Former Yankees, Mariners, Reds manager Lou Piniella uh, was one vote short. He got 11 votes, one vote short of making the Hall of Fame. But Jim Leland makes the Hall of Fame. He was the White Sox third base coach from 1982 to 1985. Of course, he won a World Series with the Florida Marlins in 1997, and he helped the Tigers get to the World Series a couple of times, and all those great Pittsburgh Pirate teams, especially in the late 80s, early 90s. Jim Leland was at the helm, and the White Sox tie here with Leland and you before we started this show before the recording you, you mentioned to me like that was the time that the White Sox had Tony La Russa managing Jim Leland's at third base coach and Dave Dombrowski's a young executive in the White Sox front office there's a chance Jim that the White Sox could have three Hall of Famers during that time span and one playoff appearance <laughs> yeah and Dombrowski achieving uh you know making his legacy all after he left the White right. Sox and Leland doing the same thing. And like part of that core or part of that coaching staff, like scattering uh, to the winds after LaRusso was fired in favor of Hawk Harrelson. So 
Uh, White Sox suffered a lot of collateral damage going from La Russa to Hawk Harrelson. I know that Reinsdorf always calls it like the biggest mistake he made, uh, you know, letting Roland Heeman go and and, and firing uh, Tony La Russa and then letting Hawk take over. But like it wasn't so much like firing La Russa because every manager, like a lot of successful managers have that uh, rough ending to their first stop, like Joe Torre, one of them, you know, before he was the Yankees. Like he was just a kind of a fungible credible manager who just couldn't quite get over the hump and you know then he ends up with the Yankees and being the right man for that team and, and so it wasn't just a matter of like firing Larusa, but just the way they got rid of so much of their brain power <laughs> uh, over the course of just how off-putting that that whole sequence was uh, it really didn't pan out so it was a mistake I think probably even more profound than Jerry Reinsdorf realizes because it wasn't just Larusa; it was uh talent above him talent underneath him and uh yeah they they the white Sox. it's funny you know a common theme over the course of the, his decades owning the white Sox. just uh you know how they've never uh become the sum of their parts it's always yeah. just uh somebody promising here somebody uh interesting here and just never being able to put it together and we watch it put together elsewhere i mean dabrowski won a world series with the marlins and the Red Sox, and he's helped four teams make the World Series since leaving the White Sox, the Marlins, the Tigers, the Red Sox, and the Phillies. Mm-hmm. So I think Dabrowski is a shoe-in of making the, the Hall of Fame as an executive. You got Leland making the Hall of Fame, Larusa making the Hall of Fame, but he won his world championships in Oakland and St. Louis. Like, <laughs> And they were all together. Like, It's one of those what-ifs. What if Jerry Reinstorf ignores Hawk Harrelson. Like, are the late 80s White Sox better? Are the early 90s White Sox better? If he just sticks with everyone, if he was still as loyal as he was then, as he is now. it It's just humorous to me. It's like, all oh, these guys, great executives, great managers have these White Sox ties, but all their glory years and achievements are now with the Chicago yeah. White Sox. I- I think the one thing that interrupts that alternative universe is Larry Himes coming in the late 80s and like crushing it in the draft. draft. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, that was good. Yeah. Enough. That was a good recovery. That's good. That's but then, true. like, you know, he wasn't sufficiently, uh, you know, he wasn't really a team player when it came to, you know, the White Sox. He rubbed some people the wrong way and certainly wasn't Reinsdorf's mold in terms of like being a, a company man the way Jerry Reinsdorf likes right. it. Right. You know, managers and executives being you know loyal to him. So yeah, it, you know that ultimately you know reset the clock in terms of just uh, what the White Sox have been seeking. But um, yeah, now we're into Chris Getz and the thing you know I was going to mention up top when he mentions Chris Getz's first winter meetings. The weird thing about this winter meetings, it's like it's the first winter meetings without Kenny Williams. Like even though Rick Hahn was running the show, like Kenny Williams was there, and you know obviously we, with the Jake wow. trade, we know that like. Kenny Williams was like always a check on Rick Hahn and you know, yeah. decisions had to go through him. So like, you know, Kenny Williams took over after 2000. Uh, so that's now 22 years without like Kenny Williams being around at a winter meetings. Like just, he's gone. Uh, so it's even you know, way more different than Rick Hahn being in charge. Like Chris Getz being the single decision maker reporting only to Jerry Reinsdorf. I mean, Reinsdorf's still around, but like, uh, terms of like networks, pre-existing relationships, um, talks that they had that they were independently excited about six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. Like it's the cleanest slate the White Sox have had in a long time. And 
I don't know what that means because nobody knows if Chris Getz is any good at this. Yeah, we're all learning. We're all learning, we're all learning at the same time. And now that you mentioned it, I mean, Scott Merkin is here. Of course, all the beat reporters are in Nashville. I'm going to have to bring that up when we run into him and in the, in the hotel. Be like, Scott, this is your first winter meetings covering the White Sox. He's been covering the White Sox since 2004 that Kenny Williams is not involved. Like... Do you feel weird? (laughs) Who do you, who are you talking to? These are, I got off the record questions for Scott Merkin. Like, how do you do your job now when these decades long strongholds are no longer with the organization? Are you worried about somebody coming, uh, you know, either calling you or approaching (laughs) in a hallway and being mad about something you wrote uh, that really shouldn't have raised the hackles of anybody? Maybe doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Guts may not be that kind of guy. Being called by the wrong name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, memories. Memories. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. Again, we'll have podcast episodes every single day. When there is breaking news for the Chicago White Sox, we will do our very best to have emergency podcasts timely and get those out. Follow us on social media. Again, we're on Twitter. We're on Threads. We're on Instagram. We're on Blue Sky. Jim does a really good job on that social media platform. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me there at Socks Machine underscore Josh. Tap into the live video. We'll do our best and try to cover every angle of the Chicago White Sox. Again, we do have on Tuesday night the MLB draft lottery. So we'll be doing some stuff there. So look forward to what I think are the top draft prospects. A lot of people have been putting this information out already. MLB.com, Baseball America. But I've kind of narrowed down the field of who I think would be worth following early when it comes to college baseball season. That starts in a couple months in February as fall ball has wrapped up for the college baseball programs but we'll know for certain where the White Sox will be drafting in the first round they have a good chance of having the number one pick there's also the rule five draft maybe the White Sox open up a spot on the 40-man roster maybe they do something interesting there so there's there's going to be some White Sox news and we'll definitely have it covered and of course visit SoxMachine.com daily but with this episode wrapped up thank you guys so much for listening if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple music we also upload our podcast episodes into our youtube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine and again follow us on social media if you enjoy our work and you want more you can get more by becoming a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socks machine and as jim mentioned earlier thanks to your patreon support that's why i'm here in nashville helping out with our coverage in the winter meetings and jim i know that you just opened it up for our patreon members to buy tickets for our curling event that we're going to be hosting in february Yes, February 3rd at Windy City Curling in Villa Park. We are just reached the halfway point or just crossed the halfway point when it comes to uh, curlers registered. We uh, It's uh, 24 spots, three-sheet club, four people per team, eight people per sheet. So that's how we get to 24 for the full representative curling experience of playing uh, a game and your first time on the ice. So hope to see you out there. Josh can speak to the... Uh, enjoyment of learning how to do it for the first time i've been doing it for 10 years but josh has done it once and can probably speak better to just what it's like and how fun it is to uh learn how to do something that's completely unnatural. yeah it's it's a blast stretch have stretchy pants and stretch you will be sore in places that you could not imagine being sore in but it is an absolute blast so again if you're not a patreon member and you hear oh this event sounds amazing 
Go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up. Monthly plans start as low as $2 or with it close to being the end of the year. You can sign up for an annual subscription to take care of all of 2024 and you get a discount with that annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash machine. Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're all for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis in Nashville, Tennessee, I am Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.